Good morning, New Hope. We're really glad that you're here. Today we're in part two of a message series in the book of 1 Peter, and we've been looking at the main themes. Now, if you missed last week, the background was Peter was writing to some persecuted Christians between 62 and 64 AD during the reign of Nero. And the Christians were facing extreme persecution. As it were, Nero had started a fire that burned large swaths of Rome with some premium property, and he was blaming Christians for the issue. Now, with this tide of unjust and unfair treatment laced with extreme persecution, Peter writes to the Christians to encourage them. And he basically says this, Friend, this world is not your home. You are sojourners. You are foreigners in a strange land. You are resident aliens. You don't belong here. You are different. Now, God is calling fully devoted followers of Jesus to also be different from this world and in this world. Different how? Well, different in values from those around you, not chasing the same things using your time differently. That's how God calls us to be different. Using your resources and your talents and your opportunities for the kingdom's sake, not for the kingdoms of this world which will soon pass. He's also calling us to be different in our standards. That means our morals from those around us. Also different in goals and purpose and ambition. And also in the way we live and our worldview. So last week, Peter's emphasis was on hope in spite of suffering. Now, Peter shifts his emphasis this week from physical trials to spiritual temptations. So if the question last week was, how can I remain joyful in the midst of suffering? The question this week is going to be, how can I stay clean in a corrupt society? Now, that's not very politically correct. But that's what the Bible calls it, a corrupt society. Throughout history, Christians have responded to this question with all sorts of extremes. Some have suggested to withdraw from the world. And some have taken that to the extreme of being monks who live in silence and solitude. Actually, my father in the faith spent quite some time in a Trappist monastery. It was fascinating to learn what he learned. But he went there to learn about silence and solitude and communion with God. Some withdraw from the world and they want to have a very close-knit community out of the world's reach. Others have isolated themselves from the world because they don't want the world rubbing off on them. But that is not ideal. The Bible provides us with a very different approach because Peter reminds us that as believers, God has appointed as a mission to accomplish in the world and therefore we cannot afford to lock ourselves away from the outside world just to do our own deal. If we did that, we'd be missing the mark, we'd be off mission, we'd be absent without leave on the battlefield that God has put us on. So as a Christian, our solution to the problem of holy living in an unholy world is not isolation, but it is insulation. And this passage that we're going to look at today in 1 Peter challenges us to live differently from our depraved society without isolating ourselves. Now, 
In line with that thought, Paul echoes this sentiment by challenging the church at Philippi. First verse in your outline, Philippians 2.15. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in this world. Now, notice in that verse, the words in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. Now, though we're not to be of this world, we are to be in the world. We see this thought again. We've just seen Paul. Let's see what Jesus said as he prays for his disciples about their relationship with the world around them. Now, mark his words carefully. Because what applied to the disciples then, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, applies to us today. Here it is. John 17, verse 14 through 15. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice what he asks. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Now again there, we see Jesus doesn't ask the Father to isolate his disciples from the world, but to insulate them, to keep them from the evil one. So today, if you haven't already grabbed them, grab your outline and follow along with us. You may want to take some notes. I want to look at God's word and see the strong challenge for you and me to be different from the world. And then I want to offer a few principles to help us stay clean in the corrupt world in which we live. Now, brief summary. We use, when we use the term the world, we're not talking about the planet. But we're talking here, and Jesus is talking about the philosophy or the way of life adopted by the majority. John talks about it this way. Here he says here, in John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he uses this word. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. You can't two-time. For all that is in the world, and then he names these three things, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So clearly we can see a demarcation here. God is calling us to be different from the world and what it values. Not chasing with an incessant thirst the possessions and the prestige and the power that it offers. Never being content. God says don't do that. He says the world is more motivated by appealing to our pride and insecurities than anything else. And you'll see this in advertising. Its pull is every bit as strong and every bit as subtle as gravity, which is never absent or never passive. Now, but unless we know how to realize how strong and how subtle the world's influence really is, we won't understand the passion behind Peter's words. Now, after previously praising God last week 
For the living hope that believers have in Christ, Peter's tone takes a marked change. And he gives a strong challenge, gives you and me a very strong challenge to live differently. To conduct ourselves differently whilst we're here. And to think very differently. Let's take a look at the first challenge. And that is the challenge to be different. That's to live our lives in holiness. Now the problem for many of you, the greatest obstacle to faithfully following Christ's calling is your desire to fit in. Now I hope you understand, as Jesus' followers, God did not create you to fit in. He called you instead to stand out. Stand out in the way that you live. God never says that you're to just blend into the world. Instead, he says, you are separated, you are to be set apart, you are to be different. Notice what he says here in 1 Peter 1.13. He says, therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior. In other words, in light of this great salvation that God has so lavishly and freely poured upon us, it's time to get serious. Notice how strong his verbs are. He sets off a series of bullet commands, one after the other. First, he says, prepare your minds for action. In other words, roll up your sleeves, get ready. But it starts in the mind. Second, he says, keep sober or be self-controlled. You see, things can be intoxicating. And if you're not careful, they can take control if they're allowed to. The desire for things can drive you to work, 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 work. Works good, but unbridled ambition will kill you. It'll kill your faith as well. She says, keep sober. That's, you know, have a balanced approach to this, into your career, even your education, or even your creative pursuits. Be self-controlled. Third, then he says, instead of pursuing all these things ad nauseum, Focus your hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. And don't be conformed to the world. In other words, don't follow along blindly with the rest of the crowd. And then there's a clincher command from God. Simply put, be holy. Now Peter says, by being set apart, that starts in the mind. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober. That's verse 13. This means being mentally alert, thinking clearly. That's about things like what's really important in life. Being disciplined or sober-minded or exercising self-control and focused. What that focus is, is as you read through the whole of the New Testament, you'll find there's a forward-looking, desirable viewpoint and worldview looking for his return. That helps us live holy lives. 
So to lead holy lives in an evil world, believers need a new and a completely different mindset. Paul also, though, warns Christians in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, he's saying there, again, from another angle, do not copy the behavior, the habits, the customs of this world that are usually selfish, all about me, and often corrupting. See, we are never called to blend in. I said it again. Jesus' followers are called to stand out and to be set apart and to be different. The only way you're going to be set apart and stand out is if you are different in the way that you live, what you pursue, how you spend your life. By the way, why would we want to be normal like the crowd? Have you looked around recently to see what normal actually is? It's hurting. It's suicidal. It's stressed. It's divorced. It's shallow relationships. It's afraid. It's anxious. It's broke. It's hopeless. And very often, it's directionless. A lot of energy going nowhere. It's like sitting on a rocking chair. A lot of work's going on there, but you're going nowhere. Now, Jesus recognized that there is a normal road that people follow. And he says, why is that road and broad as its path, and many f- people follow it to their destruction. That's Jesus saying that. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, many, for the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So the different road is definitely a narrow road. And the narrow road is the only one that leads to life and few that find it. Now, it is my prayer for you that we will be among those few because we chose to live differently. And that was to please Jesus, to fulfill his purposes in our lives. And that more and more would find that path that leads to life. See, it's not the normal path on which most people travel. Remember that. God is calling us to be set apart, to be different. Now, Back to 1 Peter 1.14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, just as children, you may have noticed this, inherit part of your nature or the nature of parents, so God also wants us to inherit his nature. Notice where it starts. Holiness starts in the mind and conforms us to Christ rather than the lusts of this world And holiness leads to hope. Now, Peter starts in the mind because it's easy, so easy, to lose sight of that hope and to let the world inebriate us and distract our minds. Next verse, in 1 Peter 1.15, it says, But just as he who called you is holy, 
So be holy, here it is, in all that you do, in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, what does that actually mean? What does it mean for a Christian to be holy? Well, in a few words, it means this, to be set apart, to be separated for a special, unique purpose. That's why marriage is often called holy matrimony, when the husband and the wife separate themselves from their former family commitments as they commit themselves to each other in a unique and special and intimate relationship. They're separated, off bounds for anybody else. The Holy Scripture, for example, is called holy because it's inspired writings by the Holy Spirit of such perfection and infallibility that they are set apart from all other human writings. Now, God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament Christians now are called to be set apart for the glory of God. So God calls us to resist the power that the world tries to exert upon us and follow in his footsteps and be holy. Number two, the second challenge to be different is to conduct our walk in fear. To conduct our walk in fear. So having God as our Father not only affects our nature, but it will affect our attitudes, our values, and our actions. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, And if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourself in fear. That means reverence, highly reverential, during the time, which is brief, of your stay on earth. So the point Peter's making here is if we call God our Father, we should conduct ourselves as his children. And that will show up in our behavior, in our values, and our attitudes All of those three things will reflect a reverence for him. So what does that mean, the flip side? It means that we won't treat him casually. We'll be vitally interested in what he wants. And we'll be keen to get these things done and lend a hand and our talents, our abilities, our time, our influence to help get these things done before the end. And then no man can work. We won't assume that as God's children, thank you God that you saved me, I've got the minimal entry requirements for the kingdom of heaven, now I can do whatever I want and just idle away my time. That's not what he's talking about here. But instead, if we call God our Father, we will live as grateful children who have love and respect for our Heavenly Father. Now, I do realize fully that we're living in a world that doesn't like to talk much about the fear of God. People, I've noticed, even atheists, don't mind talking about the love and the grace and the mercy and the blessings of God. But to refer to God as the judge who evaluates our work, this kind of thinking bothers a lot of people. And even Christians. But notice... Peter doesn't even hesitate to remind us of the holiness and the justice of God. 
And he encourages us and exhorts us to live our lives with a sense of holy fear and healthy respect before him. It has an impact in the way we live. Put it this way. You may want to write this down somewhere. Our beliefs will affect our behaviors. Now, we will be really wise to conform our attitude to Peter's words rather than the world's preferences. So, what do we conclude here? We conclude that Peter wants believers to live their lives in holiness. And we can see that in chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. And to conduct their walk with reverential fear and awe, verse 17, verse 18 through 21. The last section of this. He also wants Christians to focus their minds on Christ. Focus them. Focus our minds on Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for your sake. Now, what does that mean? All those who don't know Christ are like merchandise at a slave market of sin. And they are slaves of the desires and the impulses and the pursuits and the values of this world. They, are, they belong to another master. A guy many years ago, Larry Norman, used to say, you've got to serve somebody. I think Bob Dylan also said that too. Those folks are alienated from God who actually is the one source of true freedom. Now, the only hope for a slave is that you ransomed. Somebody will pay a ransom price to redeem you. And the Bible says that God ransomed us from the tyranny of sin, not with just mere gold or silver, which are worthless compared to the unsurpassable value of a human soul. But instead, he ransomed our souls with the precious blood of his own son, and then, here's the good news, adopted us into his forever family. Now, the only thing that keeps any person on this earth from receiving that freedom is his or her own decision to accept the free offer of eternal life. Now, God knew that we were helpless to work our way out of the situation we're in or to buy ourselves out of sin's slave market. So even before the foundation of the world, He knew our predicament, what a mess we're going to get ourselves in. And he already had a plan to save us. Actually, in Revelation, it talks about the eternal gospel. So Jesus didn't just purchase us with his precious blood to turn us into recluses and to withdraw from the world. But we have been redeemed from slavery and called to be his ambassadors. That means that we are called to be special agents, with a specific mission in this world. So to do that, though, this requires that we stay clean in a corrupt society, and two, we'll be faithful to be as representatives or as ambassadors of light in a world of darkness. How can we do this? I have four suggestions, which I encourage you to remember. Think of them as your marching orders as an agent of Christ, sent on a mission into the world before we go home. Number one, we need to pay close attention to what we look at. 
pay close attention to what you look at. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Revisit. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely. Sober, by the way, not frivolous. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. That tells you what you should fix your mind and hope on completely. See, your eyes, and the scriptures talk talk about this in other places, are your closest connection to your mind and ultimately your heart. They capture images that are alluring, that are desirable, that are attractive and pleasurable. Therefore, the implication for us is to take care of what you allow to pass through the gates of your eyes, especially when you're alone. Now, to reinforce this principle, I've given you a few scriptures there to study, uh, maybe this afternoon or during the week on your outline, Job 31.1, this Colossians 3.1 and 2, and 2 Peter 2.13-14. Secondly, if we're going to be Faithful ambassadors, faithful agents for God on the earth, we have to give greater thought to the consequences of sin rather than its pleasure. We need to give greater thought to the consequences of sin rather than its pleasure. Now you'll probably have noticed that one of the characteristics of the world is that nobody ever mentions the disastrous consequences of pornography or of having an affair, or of feeding your greeds at the expense of your family. So, when you are tempted like that, you need to walk through the consequences of your actions, thinking through the effects on your faith, on your family, and on your future. Name the people whose lives will be harmed because there will be people coming after you who will look to see how brightly your your flame of faith burned to light their way when they are confused. Remind yourself of the high cost of a ruined reputation when you're tempted to fudge on things and shade the truth. Think through the effects and the consequences of your actions. Now, if you'd like to do a little further study on that, there's a brilliant uh, chapter in Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, which is surely worth a very good look. Thirdly, to be an ambassador of Christ that faithfully represents his values and his priorities, start each day by renewing your sense of reverence for God. Start each day by renewing your sense of reverence for God. So, I'd encourage you there. When you sit down in the morning, it's not a in and out. Sometimes we do. We kind of eat fast food. But other times we sit down and we have a banquet. When was the last time that you had a banquet with God, enjoying Him, enjoying His Word, which is food? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God, right? Matthew 4.4. So don't limit that time, though, of that sense of reverence just when you, with other members of the church or with with the members of your small group. Start each day yourself. This is a personal relationship with the Lord. Renewing that father-child relationship. 
I remember when I was at university and feeling absolutely overwhelmed with my jobs and everything else that was going on. To capture that moment, I remember in Auckland, I went up to the top of the clock tower. In those days, you could do that. And I found myself a very quiet place. I whipped out my Bible. And this is the time I spent with the Lord. Strange place, but it worked for me. Now, to remind yourself of the need to fear God daily, to reverence Him, a couple of other scriptures are put in your outline there. Ecclesiastes 2, 13-14, and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Number four, during the day, periodically focus on Christ, which ties back to the other point. As the people come into your life throughout the day, and daily events and temptations cross your path, you'll find, if you're like me, you begin to drift, and you lose your original focus. So whatever happens, try and find some time during the day to realign your focus upon Christ. It's kind of like a bit of a wheel alignment. You go to the shop, you get everything straightened up, and your steering wheel is nice and straight. But you notice over time, through the bumps and the hits and the things that happen, you have to have your wheels realigned. We often need to have our heart, our attitudes, and our minds realigned by God's Word. Now, it may mean short times of prayer or reading your Bible, or some devotional passage, which you can take maybe during your lunchtime. But the key thing is, is to refocus your your mind on Him throughout the day. Now, if you want to take a bit of time to look at this, you can take a look at Hebrews 12, 1, verses 1 through 2, to consider new ways that you can focus fully on Christ. Now, here's the good news. If you build these four habits into your life, they will help you to experience what it is like to be in this world, but not of it. Let's pray. Father, do work in us now. Some of you here today would recognize that there's some areas of your life that God is calling you to raise a standard in. To make changes in your life. To be different from this world. Friends, you're not like everybody else. You're called to be holy because he is holy. Now some of you would say, I recognize that God is showing me something now. And I need his help to follow through. It's often not outward behavior. But it's God changing me from the inside to make things on the outside different, a spiritual transformation. Holy Spirit, why don't you just say, do that work in me. I want to change. I want to be holy. Thank you for your spirit that changes us from the inside out. Father, may we grow from the inside out. And God, would you change our hearts, renew our minds, Make us different on the inside again so that the outside actions start to change. God, help us to fall so in love with you that our first thought goes to you and not to the world so that we cannot stay the same. Now, there are others of you here today who are listening to this who recognize that you're not even right with God, that you say, I want to be right with God. And that's good news that you're here because God wants to speak to you today. He already has been. Friend, you can search and search for something to give lasting meaning for your life and you'll continue to be empty. You know why that is? 
It's because there is a spiritual void in your life that only Jesus Christ can fill. So here's the truth. We're all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's standard of perfection. Nobody's perfect. We've all sinned and we've all fallen away from God. But because of God's great goodness and his love and his mercy, he sent Jesus, who's without sin. And Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin and my sin. He was raised from the dead so everybody, and that includes you, who calls on his name could be saved. So today, you're just one prayer away of having your eternal destiny changed forever. To those who would say, I need forgiveness, I give my life to Christ, that's open to you right now. Would you, if that's you, pray along with me and say, Heavenly Father, I surrender my life and invite you to forgive my sin, to make me new and to fill me with your spirit, Lord, so that I am following you for the rest of my life. I realize that my life is not my own, I give it to you. Thank you for the new life that you give me right now. Now you have my life. Use it for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, folks. Have a great weekend. And we look forward to seeing you in person next week at Point View. God bless.